Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, it is an honor to be welcoming Gabby Herrera. With over a decade of leadership experience at iconic brands such as Ralph Lauren and Jill Stewart International, Gabby is currently the president and CEO of the global luxury fashion brand DVF. Since becoming president in January of 2021, Gabby has instituted significant changes to grow the company and attract younger professionals while staying true to the brand's legacy to inspire confidence in working women. Recently, Gabby and the DVF team launched the In Charge Movement, a platform to connect, empower, inspire, and advocate for women everywhere. In this episode, Gabby talks about how she broke into the notoriously competitive fashion industry with no connections, the importance of finding your unique edge and using it to your advantage, and the impact that Diane von Furstenberg has had on her life. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Gabby, I'm so excited to be welcoming you to the For Your Listening Pleasure podcast. What I found so fascinating about your career journey is you are the CEO of Diane von Furstenberg. But before you got there, what really intrigued me was listening to a few other interviews you gave talking about how you got your start in the fashion industry. And I believed it involved an elevator and handing out paper resumes. So would you mind talking about that with our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, I was 18 years old when I came to the U.S., New York City. That was the year when the movie Devil Wears Prada came out. Uh, and all I knew is that there's this a fashion district in New York City. It's somewhere around 40th Street, 49th Street, 38th to 49th Street. Um, there's a fashion avenue. Um, I literally did not know anyone and the school I went to, which is a liberal arts college, doesn't have any fashion connection either. So I printed out the resume and actually portfolio as well. I think sketch uh, looked really bad, but I thought they looked really great at that time and jumped on the Amtrak from Lancaster to Penn Station, went straight to the fashion district. And I was like, wow, I made it. I was like so excited And I was like, if I knew no one, but I'm in New York City, which is a privilege, let me just go building by building, floor by floor, and door by door, knocking on the door. I was thinking if one day I made it, I can tell the story because that was insane. Um, And that's how I uh, snaked into the Ralph Lauren building and got caught by the security guard and it was asked to leave the building, but I was able to pass my resume before he caught me on that third floor. That's how I even made it to my first internship in New York City. And then when I ran into Mr. Lauren in the elevator, so that's true, that's a true elevator story. I my heart was pumping so fast. I thought I had 10 seconds. So I need to introduce myself. I did. I said Mr. Lauren, you have all of this employee in New York City, but I'm, I think the only one from China. And I, my ambition is to make the, uh, Ralph Lauren the most successful brand in China, blah, blah, blah. So he, he just like, he was very nice. He suggested that I may go to visit our Hong Kong headquarters, which was the first headquarter that Ralph Lauren bought back. 
and I marched right into the HR office. I said, Mr. Lawrence said I should uh, represent New York office and go visit uh, the new Hong Kong headquarters. And HR is like, her name is Melissa. She said, oh my God, that's amazing. He said that, then let's make it happen for you. Before I knew it, I was the executive visiting Hong Kong headquarters. And I was a, I was still at school. I was a senior. I was a senior in my college. That's basically set the path to secure that full-time position for a foreign student in New York City. And that was the beginning of my career. So I want to dive into that because I think people are really afraid to tell future employers what they can bring to the table and to make themselves known because we're human. We're afraid of rejection or embarrassment or sometimes we might doubt ourselves. But when you really know what you're able to bring to the table and add value to a company, what advice would you give to people to harness that mm-hmm. same kind of confidence that you had mm-hmm. to be able to show that? Or even if you have 10 seconds with someone, mm-hmm. what do you say? I do have some tactics. I'm very passionate about passing that information to all of the um, friends, especially the next generation, like the one in their early 20s, I think about her, them quite a lot. Um, there's a there's a tactic and to prepare for it, I normally have like piece of, a blank piece of paper and I just keep writing what I have that no one else have. So I try to think of myself lined up with so many similar people, like in that case, like 21 years old, 20 years old, intern in New York City. And I was in this special internship class with all of the kids from like Harvard and Columbia, like really impressive, look amazing. Um, and I'm also, I was only, I was the only uh, woman of color in that internship class, as I remembered. And I thought, okay, so that that's one differentiation. I'm not white, I guess, or like blonde. So thinking, okay, I'm 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 not white. I'm I'm from China. I don't know how much experience, but I'm from China. Right? I grew up in Beijing, and China I know should be a very important market for fashion brands. And so I tried to basically pivot from something that maybe I actually lack. Right? I don't look like the like the girl from Greenwich village. So I tried to take what I don't have and turn that into something that only I have. So even though I know nothing about China market, I was just like kid living in the US really. I, I talk like I'm going to make Ralph Lauren very successful in my home country. So all you need is like a 10 second, this smart pivot, doubling, doubling down on the what you have that no one else have. And I feel like that mentality carried me through all the way even to uh, DBF. And a lot of brands, sometimes people who are minority or maybe don't look like the brand that they want to work for, they worry that because they don't fit the mold, there's no place for them. But realistically, you were able to say, I'm not from the United States. I'm from China. I don't look like maybe your typical Ralph Lauren model or what the persona might be for the brand right now. But if you want to grow, I am going to be your consumer. I am going to be the target demographic that you're going to want to hit. I can bring that value. What would you say would be like the biggest piece of advice you would give to those who are nervous about showing that they are different, but in the best way possible? Mm -hmm. 
I have to say, if our audience right now、uh, made his or her way to your podcast, um, you're already ambitious. You're already thinking about how to improve yourself. You're curious about the world. That's the starting point. I think you have to really want it, and this is a topic I've been thinking a lot recently. Like, what makes someone driven and successful? Um, so all, all the scary moment I've had and made me where I am right now came from that deep hunger I wanted. If you ask me, like, what is that? It, um, I I'm pretty sure it's not money. I'm almost sure it's not like title. I think the it is to really feel my life is somehow meaningful, to speak to another. Th- Thousands of a woman of color is <laughs> my favorite thing. But okay, how do you get to that vice president promotion when you're 28 years old? And here is exactly Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones playbook. This is what you say. This is what you don't say. This is the resources you have. Like I just do that、uh, for my personal joy, <laughs> and in, like I just love doing that. And I think to have a voice, to be in this position, make. Means I have a voice. I, I I have a I I have an audience who who think they can learn from me, and that in turn make me the happiest person on the planet. So I'm thinking even back as maybe eighteen, nineteen years old, I wanted that. If you sound make it sound like a practical, I guess I wanted that impact. That is that's my goal. I wanted. I was nobody in order to get there. I'm willing to do at all costs. Go get there. Work really hard. Work the night. Work the evening. So for I think all the audience to think about this whole process, you almost just like really sit down and think about yourself. What drives you? What makes you happy? What you want? If you want something so badly, suddenly you're gonna get all the courage that all the dots gonna get connected somehow magically. So that's kind of how I feel about this. And then from Ralph Lauren, you were at a few other companies, but one before you got to your current role was you were the Chief Strategy Officer at Jill Stewart. What was that like? Because you were fairly young when you got to that senior level very quickly. What was that experience like for you, being in those executive meetings, making those calls for such a big brand? Well, out of all the interviews, no one asked me this question. I have to say, so I'm very impressed. That's a very unique experience. It's so unique. It the Jill Stewart experience directly enabled me. And enlightened me to do what I did in the early days at DBF because I joined Jewel Stewart as the VP of Production. So my my bread and butter, my background, sourcing, production, product development, fitting.、Um, and then the company was going through some transformation where basically they wanted to become smaller. The owner wanted to more about to make Jewel Stewart more like IP company and to streamline to basically be. Increasing the profitability, the bottom line. So I saw that opportunity. So I raised my hand, went to the owner, and be like, "Here's the proposal. This is how we're going to do the channel. Here's how we grow. This is how we close that one thing."、Um, and that was a very stressful environment because every day the owner was thinking about different direction. So I remember rushing out of my office to meet the owner and make that proposal. Again, heart pumping, really nervous. And that was the building I actually got kicked out ten、uh, years ago. It's the same security guy. His name is Bobby.、Uh, so obviously, when he saw me joining Jewel Store as executive, we had the biggest laugh.、Uh, 
Um, and every day when he's shipped, I see him, he, he like give me a nod and he just reminds me, gosh, if 10 years ago, I was willing to get kicked out by security guard, um, that drive, I hope I've never lose that, that out of comfort zone, that little bit nervousness, oh, I'm, I'm doing something crazy today. It's going to work out that feeling. I never want to lose it. So I remember on my way rushing to see the owner, he gave me that nod and I said him, Bobby, I'm going to do something crazy today again. So that was the day I was able to pivot from a VP of production to chief strategy officer. That was my first successful moment to go from a production. You know, you always belong, you're defined by the department you start with, like this lane, your expertise. So it's very important to strategize that pivot if you want to be eventually the CEO, right? Uh, or the owner. So that was my first success to go from a production. I can go as far as VP, but I, you know, I don't want to continue. I wanted to be the business leader. Um, so from a production VP to a C-level executive. And that transition, transformation allowed me to be seen by my CEO at that time at DVF and Diane as a business leader, not just someone who does production. So that was a great uh, pivot experience. You know, I've had points in my career where I know I have great ideas or I'm hearing senior executives or owners talk about this is a problem and I create decks and create strategy of how to solve that problem. If you tell me there's a problem, one thing I'm great at is finding a solution. But it seems like sometimes when you want to go and present it or tell someone, I I hear what you're saying. I want to show you this. Can I present? Sometimes I've had like where senior managers kind of look at me like, know your place. You should have run this through the correct chain of command so that your manager was informed. Or sometimes you can get like, who do you think you are? talking to senior executives. I think when you are passionate about what you do and you know you have a good idea and can help the brand, what advice would you give to those who are kind of stuck where they know they can, they're capable of so much more, but either have been told to not be so enthusiastic or maybe kind of know your place. How do you get noticed when you know you want to grow? Well, you really are speaking from the experience. That's a very real user case. I observe that. I experience that. Now I observe that often. So number one, it's very common to be told that. So the so there are two sides of the argument. One is that maybe your manager actually do have more information. Um, your manager doesn't want you to appear naive in front of uh, maybe the next layer, whatever VP or CEO. Um, so, but often it's also about the hierarchy, like the manager felt like you are work belong to me. You are my direct report. If anything, I should, it's like come from me, which I think is not the most efficient, um, business model. This is a very linear hierarchy, like layer of layer. It's just like proven to be not effective, uh, now versus 15 years ago, because now things move, change very fast. Also now, my our 25 years old may have knowledge base that our managers actually don't have. So at DBF, I can say very clearly, all of our department heads are so incredible to support our 25 years. So if, if I use age just like prematurely as you know, for our, our like maybe like newcomers, 
to be like, this is a great idea. Let me help you. Here's several things that you want to pay attention to. And you present it to Gabby. We have this all the time. And I just love, and you see how nervous they are or 25 years old. But throughout the meeting, first we treat her with, with, with respect. I would challenge her as if I challenge my <clears throat> VPs and such. But same time, everyone at the table are super sweet, super supportive. Wow, this is amazing. This is a great idea. Okay, let's do this and make that happen. I would say if you are ambitious and smart and you look for solution, you are proactive, which is such a premium quality. If you're in a place where you are more like kind of responded with, I know your place. There's no way you could, it's difficult to, to, to give you that one hour in front of a CEO or decision maker. I kind of want to say this is not the ideal place that deserve your talent and proactiveness, two different things and work ethics. So look for companies that like what I described at least at, 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 at DVF, encourage that drive and smartness and solution because that's a company that has a culture which is we respect each other everyone is born equal regardless of your skin color socioeconomic background or your titles that is the environment where you're gonna most likely have accelerated career path and listeners those who are in leadership positions i would just highly encourage you to take gabby's advice it is so important and i've seen it i've also experienced it where you're newer or starting off in your career and you're kind of written off that you don't have ideas or you can't implement or get the job done. And those individuals might have a different view of the market that you're trying to break into or a different idea of how to reach consumers or your customers in a way that maybe you just haven't known, not in touch with, or they have a different perspective. And I think that creating that environment where people can be seen and heard and respected allows you to move the business so much more than if you only listen to those in a senior level position that all have kind of been in the workforce for the same period of time. And so after Jill Stewart, you made the pivot to where you are now at DVF. What made you decide to leave Jill Stewart to go to a different fashion brand? That's where, you know, I respect um our ex-CEO DBF Sandra so much because she actually she was giving a speech at the lead summit. I went to introduce myself, super nervous, but I did. I DM'd her on LinkedIn and she responded. And that was very shocking to me. Hence now I respond to every single DM on my LinkedIn as well. And she, as a CEO of such a big company, a very famous brand, was so down to earth and was just like catching me up to speed about what DVF does. And it's really a kind of like the destination for any ambitious woman within the fashion industry to make a mark. Uh, and that's very refreshing um, in the industry where most of the, lot, there's still a lot of CEOs who are like oh, men in their maybe 50s and 60s and such. So that was the primary reason why I was interested in joining DBF. And even in my second interview, I got to even meet Diane directly and to have an owner who's so involved every day, who's willing to meet candidates and talk about DBF. That basically just told me, okay, this is a very promising company and brand to join. Not many fashion brands stand for something, I think. And DBF really stands for something. And that's just a primary reason to want to join. 
And when we talked last time, you mentioned within five months, you went from a standard employee, obviously it was not entry level, but you were just employee to a senior executive CEO role. What was that journey like? Because I, in five months, I know that people say you put your head down, you work hard and your life can change within six months. And, but to go from such a one role to now being the CEO, what did that journey look like for you? Yeah. Um, externally, it was a very special time from January 2020 to May 2020. That's when COVID just happened first in China, then around the world. The rest of the world effectively got shut down, right? I always remember the second week of March, everything shut down. Uh, furlough happened throughout many industries, including retail industry. Internally, DVF, the company, was already kind of debating about different um, paths for the company because our company was um, not profitable for a couple of years to 2020. And it's it's really a combination of many factors, I think, eternally. The competition, the e-com, a um, lot of legacy brands were struggling at that time. I always felt like I wanted to to talk about that very openly because it was true. And Diane talked about it very openly as well. So internally and externally, and Diane said, we already had the precondition before COVID started and COVID accelerated it, which I thought, and she said it to New York Times on the front page, talking about owning the truth. So that's the external and internal. So the first thing I did when I joined DBF is that I asked for a PL. I pieced together our PL for the company, which I realized. Um, so I sit on the senior uh, executive senior leadership team, SL team. Uh, I think a lot of my peers on SLT team actually didn't know the PL for the business. So the tip that I gave only to my my own friends, like my my peers who are a senior executive in their companies. I always say, if you don't know your PNL yet for your company, and they're like, oh yeah, that's a C-level information. I always say, try to get it because it really informs you where you want to focus your energy on, what that informs you, the context, when you pitch for an idea or for yourself, you just know how to do a pitch that hits the ears of your listener, aka your CEO, your owner, right? That's such a great advice. I don't, why do people not do it? So that was the, the first thing I did. I knew it already. That's how I knew, okay, I see profitability. Hmm. That is a killer for this company because it's not there yet. And it was there. It was great. How do we get back to there? Um, so I know that I think about that when everything got shut down, that's when the external factor, right? Diane and the DBF board was like, oh my gosh, do we, maybe we had such a great run. DBF stands for something. Maybe this is it for this company. And we continue to do good for women through the uh, philanthropy, like the foundation make total sense. Didn't make sense to me at all because I was like, DBF is the best brand in the world. We have thousands of 100,000 customers around the world. We have brand awareness. We have infrastructure. We have 60 stores in China. We have a profitable China business for six years back in 2020. Oh, okay. So if profitability is a key factor and no one see the light down the tunnel because COVID may be years. So that's like how people make, how decision makers think, right? How about I made a proposal to guarantee profitability 
how reducing cost of goods, which is our biggest line item for fashion brand, uh, make our team smaller, only make the product that our customer love. Because another industry thing, 80% of revenue come from 20% of your styles. Do that, change the product, improve the product while staying true to the brand DNA, sourcing uh, fit. That's my bread and butter. I know how to propose that with a quarter of the, the, the resources before and then focus on two bright um, areas. One is e-com globally. One is the China DTC. Um, treating our Chinese office, Beijing office with the respect and understanding they're smart and how do we give them some more responsibilities uh, with our partner, Jesse, who runs China Business of DVA for 10 plus years, holding hands together, let's make a proposal. So made that proposal. Uh, Diane talked to me every single day at that time. And then she started sending her board members and then her family to talk to me. And quickly they decided to choose this plan that just and I submitted. And then she would say, okay, you and our amazing Sandra, she departed around May. Um, and Diane was like, you're the one that I chose to run my company. I really couldn't believe it that moment. I actually said, Oh, are you sure? I don't, I don't think it can be me. And she was like, crazy. She was like, what are you talking about? Why are you not excited? Like, why can't, what, what's wrong with you? you? I chose you. And then that's when I said, I know it's my plan. Obviously, like, it makes sense, but I just couldn't believe it because I'm like young. Um, you have to be in the experience again, Chinese with English, not even my first language. And this is a American legacy brand we're talking about. And this was she taught me, Diane taught me, only your insecurity, it becomes your asset. So how do I pivot from all the things I just said? I'm horrible, right? I'm 31, I was 31 years old. I'm Chinese, horrible, horrible. And she's like, wait, think about it. 31 years old and are really our core customer, 35 years old. You know exact this this upper millennial generation things. That's a great asset. And you being Chinese while you talk with our, our long-term a supply chain uh, partner, they're Chinese. So because I speak Chinese with them, we really sit together to improve our fit, our product, our fabric so much. And this is how she taught me to really take all of the things that you think are not good about yourself, but only you have into your ACE card. You know, while I'm sitting here listening to you tell the story, I realize you and I are very similar in a sense where when I get excited about solving a problem, you can see I get animated. I get really excited and I go, we can do this and this. And my mind just keeps going. And I'm like, and then it's like, we're done. Problem solved. We just now let's put it into implementation and get going. So when you're telling all this, I was fired up. I'm like, oh my God, yes, let's do this. What do you need? Like listening to you, it showed that I'm sure Diane felt the same thing. And then as the board members and her family are coming to listen to you, they could feel your enthusiasm. They could feel your energy and your confidence. But then it also just showcased what a great leader you are. Because if you can get people to buy into your idea and get on board and get excited, then they get excited for what they're doing. And then you're coming together as a team to solve this problem, or in this case, to make it profitable again and to get the brand re-energized. How did you 
pivot because you weren't there for that long to get people to come on board. Obviously, just listening to you now, I got really amped up and excited. But as a leader, I think it's so important to one, have people understand that you have a vision, you support them, you hear them and see them, but also that you can lead by example, as well as make some hard calls when you need to. And it's hard sometimes when there's a new leader steering the ship, Mm -hmm. especially maybe for those who had been with the company for a lot longer. I think about this topic all the time. How do you persuade persuade your audience? Um, That is a, I always thought that's a very difficult task at DBF because we're a family, we're a family business. Uh, Diane and her family who still owns 100% of the company and the brand um, are, they're different in each of their individual on our board. And then our team, they're ones who have been working DBF for 10 plus years. So I was the new candy in the nut mix and they have been their real estate holder. Um, and then I have our new folks joining DBF who almost didn't know much about the company, especially our are like 24 years old. So I think about all of those audience and then I have the whole, uh, our Chinese partner who have very different cultural background. So this is where I actually think I'm, I am a good leader in a sense. I'm not just walking in the front and, and just like typical leader. I feel like I'm, I'm walking behind everyone. I really, at given time, I see, it's almost like planet. I see all of this, my, my key stakeholders, my group. I see, you see them all the time. I think about all the. I think about them all the time. Even when I talk about one thing to one group of audience, I think about others. I talk as if they're in the room. Uh, I think culturally speaking, um, Chinese people define leaders. Asian, I would say Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, while the East Asian, like under Confucian, Confucius culture, uh, see leaders as the one walking behind at the last behind the group um we we're definitely not good talkers i feel but we listen very well i always wanted to be thoughtful i i care a lot about each stakeholders what makes them happy so i listen very closely to what they care about i'm going to give you a real almost like very exclusive example um within my wonderful board. I have Diane, who is the founder who started it all, uh, who really is a champion for women empowerment. In her mid-70s, what her biggest interest is, then you think about what is that? Is it the get to a half a billion revenue of this fashion business? It is to attach more women so every woman have the chance of becoming the woman they want to be? It's definitely the latter, right? Because that's what she cares about. And then you ha- we have uh, Alison Fersenberg, um, Diane's son, and he's the main person I work with for our brand. He cares about value creation for this business, right? That makes sense. So for him, there are different benchmarks that he cares about. And then my wonderful culture woman, 
uh, of my board, Diane, uh, Talita Van Furstenberg, Diane's granddaughter. She's like 23 years old and she's so beloved by all the millennials and Gen Z. She care about DBA really looking great and be aspirational. So she, and at the same time, we work so, so close together. She's learning about the financial and stuff. So you see these three most important people in my group of uh, um, DBA board cl- cluster of audience care different things. And then I see through all of that and I pick what I hear is the common ground, right? Which is make DVF exciting and uh, make DVF deserve what Diane's and the family's thoughts put into this brand, make more women love DVF. So I'm always like, take everyone's different incentives and motivation and passion, kind of like digested and molded into something every single people from Diane all the way to our intern can understand, can get excited by, and then with a very clear execution plan for each of them. So that's like my wisdom from the past two years of doing this job. You're you're almost like a conductor. Everyone's playing a different instrument you're writing and listening to the their music but you're controlling which instrument goes when and how they intermix with each other to create this music that is seamless and powerful and but making sure everyone is playing at the right time and when are you pulling those levers so that certain aspects of the brand shine at different times because you can't have everything all at once it would be too noisy and and not have focus. That's such a great example. I think I should always remember that's my job. Instead of the main star pianist of the band, I just want to see Yuja's concerto um, because I cannot be, because the unique thing about the, in the position is that you, your work carry weight, but I cannot make decisions out of ego. I think that's so crucial. I have to, be the conductor. I have to, the melody, the harmony is the goal, not like my sound. I'll remember this forever because I think it's very easy to be in a powerful position and almost be corrupted by that power. Oh, absolutely. We see it all the time with executives or just people of power. Uh, they forget about what their real role is and not, it's not about you at the end of the day. So I know how important mentorship is and finding the right kind of mentor to help you grow and to encourage you and support you. What has it been like having Diane as a mentor? Obviously, is an inspiration to so many women, but you get to have those mm-hmm. phone calls. And I think last time we spoke, you mentioned that you guys were in a 12-hour meeting, <laughs> plan, like a planning meeting. And I got off thinking, that is the kind of woman who will get in the foxhole with you talk it through, solve the problems. And that's the kind of mentor I know I would want to have. So I'm curious, what has that relationship been like for you? It's magical. She changed my life completely. The things that, not that she generous with her time with me and her time is so precious. She has this thing she called the magical wand, which is every morning she connects two people who in no universe and know each other or be connected with each other. She would, that's the first thing she does when she wakes up in the morning. She connects those two people, think that they can somehow um, benefit from knowing each other. 
And she had introduced me. I have been the recipient of this morning magic one moment for a couple of times. Um, that is, and she said, you cannot do this for your own interest. You have to do this completely selflessly. So her mentorship really extend to, uh, there's so many examples, but for example, I got to be the mentee, uh, for Paula. Paula was the president of DVA from 2000 to 2012. Uh, she is the most smartest woman I've ever met. Uh, she has given me countless hours after that introduced me to her, where I learned about the importance of e-commerce, the digital transformation. Paula told me how after she left DVF, she went through the, such a digital transformation, which made her uh, the smartest person she is today. Um, that introduced me to Suzanne, the, um, I think the head of the extra group who owns many company, the Italian company. And she taught me what, what it's, uh, what a, like a CEO at that caliber, at that caliber consider value creation when they evaluate, when they evaluate a business, which is, um, 18% year to year, uh, revenue growth and certain percentage of profit growth. It's very confidential genuine, true, valuable information as if I was in those big board meeting. And then I take that and that's exactly how DVF associate the DVF revenue right now, we're 21% year to year revenue growth, including this year as the goal. And I just emailed Suzanne, I was like, oh my God, what you taught me, this literally, I'm executing it. You say, by the way, this is about mentorship, right? You want to go back to a mentor. I listened to you. I did it. This is the result. This makes the mentor so happy. And so so feeling so fulfilled, but this is basically what it's like to have Diane as your mentor, which inspired me to start the DBF in charge activations, right? In our, in our headquarters, because I'm thinking every privileged connection I, I received in, in her, in Diane's office, how do I share that? First, I was thinking with our team and my friends, and then I think, oh, with, oh, oh, like what DBF community, uh, from 14 years old all the way to 80 years old, we do this almost once a month. Um, no out of no charging, no ticket. We just get together. Um, that's like kind of passing that privilege, that mentoring to a wider audience. You literally just teed up my next question, which was about the in charge activation. I think it's great how you are wanting to pass that along, and DVF as a brand is supporting that because. We've all seen brands that talk the talk. They say the buzzwords. They'll be like, oh, Women's History Month. And then March mm -hmm. goes away. And then it's like, well, it should be Women's Month and Everyone's Month every day. It shouldn't just be focused for a month. But can we talk about that In Charge initiative? And I'm going to include the link to it in this episode's show notes so people can sign up, learn more about it. Talk to us about what this initiative has meant to you. It's almost a healing process because to be able to, I, I don't, I feel weird about being the CEO of DVF. It's just too much privilege, too much. It's like stars are aligned. I'm, I'm having this life. Um, so to offset that feeling, it makes me just happy to share, um, like for example, Diane's friend, Sam Altman, the, uh, owner of OpenAI. Uh, I'm really into ChatGPT, Dali, all of it. So now that I, not only that I introduced uh, Sam to me, uh, I was able to like geek out on those topics. 
So then I said, well, this is too privileged. So we're sharing um, like the key right-hand person to Sam, have her come over to like International Women's Day activation on March 3rd for her to talk about chief technology officers, her name, uh, talk about her title, talk about open eye and the impact of industry. So that not just I receiving those privilege, but our, I think 800 women are coming, receiving that information. So we do it. Um, the big ones, such as International Women's Day, like an ODVF award uh, once or twice a year. And then there's also a small one, the intimate one, where we have 50 people, 50 women come. We tend to do it by industry or by topic. We have run about 45 in charge activations last year. So that's how you know we're passionate, right? It's like, it's quite a lot. The topic we have covered, we did one with lawyers because I was chatting with my friend. I was like, wait, 50% of JD graduates are women, but only I think 12% of the partners are women. Wait, what is that data? How does that work? What's the um, advice? for that partner track, that Netflix show and the discrimination and all of that. So then we got like, and a lot of people was like, oh, because they're not enough female partners as a role model. And it's about connection, about networking. So we grabbed a bunch of uh, very renowned uh, female partners and owners of like law firm, female owners. And then we get together, we grab 50 um, JD and also young associates, almost all women. And there's a network that's also sharing vulnerability, sharing like the tactics. And that's such an in-charge activation. So easy for us because we're just, it's in our office and downstairs we have that space. Um, And then the surprise I received is number one, it's a meaningful foot traffic to our store because our store and our space are together. Number two, I often saw um, half of the attendees actually almost don't know DVF. She came, she, within two hours, she went from like learning what DVF is to seeing the collection. Because when I tell the story, the clothes is basically my story because that's how I made the position. So I talk about the fit. I talk about my background and how the product is not expensive. It hits all the values for you. Um, and uh, it lasts forever. It's almost like no brainer. And then so half of the 10, like uh, 50 people come, 10 people roughly always end up shopping after the first set chat. So this whole two hours free went from a customer, like uh, went from audience awareness, upper funnel all the way to customer acquisition. So now the other fashion brand CEOs, my friends are like, wait a second, how do I run this activation? I wanted to increase my store revenue by this amount too. Uh, wait, and you don't have a budget for this? We actually zero budget. Now we have a budget because so we can have some food for this in charge activation. Uh, so now with the, sometime I realized with the BOF and Women's Wear Daily, that's what they're interested most to learn because it's a new business model. It's a truly communal retail um, oh, or engagement rate for those content. And it's UGC strategy. It's an engagement strategy. Engagement rate is 25% plus. So for all the business owners listening, uh, I would say like check out, even just go on LinkedIn, go to like DVF page. You will see the vibe. It's like really a smart business strategy, I feel. I also think that it, 
shows consumers what your brand is about, not just the clothes. And at the end of the day, yes, every brand wants to be profitable, but you're putting your money where your mouth is. You are empowering women. You're trying to bring women in from all different careers, backgrounds, experiences to help them better themselves and feel their best with whatever the topic may be. So you are, yes, by wearing one of these dresses, you are empowered and your founder is a feminist and has stood for this, but you are still carrying on that legacy and hoping to help future generations not only, yes, look great in the clothes, but live their best lives and be successful in whatever their goals are by providing that value add and that information. Yeah, it's so consistent because I think it is about value. And to be able, I feel like it's always about value. Diane was like, like a judge, like she was not a designer when she started in the 70s because she all she cared about is a functional, like best friend in your closet where you don't know what, what to wear, simple things. She's always like that. And now she's practical. She's, this is about value. So she would teach me that if you wanted to get 50 people come to, 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 to our headquarters, what are you making valuable for her for her two hours? Just like, why do you make this $300 dress valuable for our woman? She really trained me to think as the value add way from designing to running a company to Spending a party. And I think that's really the ethos of our brand down to the business operating principle, value creation, which ties beautifully to our, this is our third year to be profitable and to have a 20% year to year revenue growth and meaningful profit margin, which leads to creating value, not just for our shareholder, for the family, but also for our employees, because we'll never have to worry about laying off or all of that. Now we're expanding, we're recruiting, which is the value for our team as well, because our team get to have their team and that's how they learn to be a manager. Uh, it's just, uh, I, I hope this lasts forever. I know it will not, uh, because everything has an end. All I know, I'm just trying to remind myself to just enjoy this journey as much as I can. Yeah. And I would almost say before we dive into the final questions, not everything ends, it evolves. So (laughs) this is kind of where you are now, but the future, you never know what it could evolve to. Maybe it's a app community where activations take place. So people from all over the country or the world can engage and learn and create more of a community versus just having people come to the flagship store in New York. So this might be where the brand is now, but evolution is a beautiful thing too. Uh, Well said. So I end every episode with the final three questions. The first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? Only your insecurity, it becomes your asset. I love that one. The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? (laughs) Oh, wow. There are so many days, but I think I'll always remember the day when Diane called me. Um, I think it's May 10th and told me that she chose me to lead her legacy brand. That's a day that I make me forever fearless for all the future challenge. Absolutely. It took your life to a whole different path, I'm sure. 
The final question is, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you pick? Oh, my God. Uh, Coldplay. What's that? Viva. Uh, what's this? The, the, Viva the La. Yeah, Viva La Dura, like, like that. That was the song. That was the song that I listened to as a 19 years old, marching down, uh, I think it's Madison Avenue for that Ralph Lauren internship. And somehow that made me feel like this very strong main character vibe. I was just like, I'm going to conquer the world. Now, like I just listened to it again on my way to our board meeting last week. That definitely is the song that my brain is used to. Okay, I'm going, I'm going to attack whatever challenge head on. I got it song. I love it. That really is a great theme song. So I'm going to add that to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify. So listeners can listen to your theme song (laughs) along with all the other guests. Gabby, thank you so much. This has been so lovely. I have been so fortunate to get to meet you in person and come to headquarters. And I hope to see you next time I'm in New York as well. So thank you again. Thank you too. 